I want to call your attention now to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 23. Matthew, chapter 23. And as you may already know, or as you can see by looking at this chapter, this is a very solemn chapter in which the Lord Jesus Christ, in the week before his crucifixion, speaks words of woe and warning to the religious hypocrites, scribes and Pharisees. And we want to look at one of these verses in particular and Uh, draw out a doctrine from it, and it is verse 23, Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, Judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done, and not to leave the other undone. May the Lord bless the reading of his word to our hearts. Among the stinging words of Christ to the religious hypocrites in Jerusalem. We find this rebuke. We might summarize it this way. They were over-scrupulous about smaller things, and they overlooked greater things. They were overly concerned about material things and not concerned about greater spiritual things. And he uses the terms here of weight. Some things are heavier than others. Some things in that way are more significant and important than others. The Scribes and Pharisees, Jesus says, were careful about the part of the law in Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30, that says, All the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. And so they would tithe of every little thing. Well, that's what the law said to do. And he does say that they should not neglect that. That's the significance of that last part of verse 23. You should not leave the other undone. But the things that they left undone were the weightier matters. So you can see in your mind's eye this religious Pharisee 
counting out little leaves and little seeds, separating them. Here's nine and here's one. Here's nine more and here's one more. Here's these little leaves. Let's count them. Here are nine leaves and here's this one little leaf over here. And then when he has done all of that, he puts them all in a in a jar and brings them to the temple to present to the Levites. And he does so in a way for everyone to see. Here are my tithes from my little garden herbs. And he even makes it a matter of a loud public prayer and brags about it to God saying, I give tithes of all that I possess. And all the while, he has no thought or concern about justice or judgment, as it says here. He's not concerned about righteous ruling and justice upon this earth and just courts and the like. He's not concerned about mercy, not concerned about the suffering of the needy. He's not kind-hearted. And he's not concerned about faith, which could simply be referring to faithfulness and faithfulness in all of his duties to God and man. I personally tend to think that it's more directly faith in God that is on our Lord's mind here when he says that they had neglected or omitted faith. And of course, that is the very end and purpose of the law, according to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Our Lord here is exposing the sin of misplaced priorities, and he is pleading for obedience in all matters, matters great and small, not just these little things that are blown out of proportion, we might say, and that are observable by man and that get us a pat on the back and that are relatively easy to do. Our Lord is arguing here for obedience in all things. There's no duty that should be omitted. And so the doctrine that, that this verse points us to is sins of omission. The doctrine concerning omission. God takes very seriously sins of omission. And so should we. And so I want to delve into this subject some here with you today. Sins of omission. Let's consider, first of all, that sins of omission are more prevalent than we think. 
we tend to think in terms or we, we tend to think of sin in terms of something that we do, something that we commit, something that we act out, some evil deed, some evil word or action. Maybe even the kind of thing that makes the headlines in the news. Now that's a sin. That's really bad. But there are also sins of omission. Failing to do and failing to be what God has commanded. Think of it this way. A person may simply sit perfectly still and not lift a hand, not move a finger, not utter a word, and be guilty of very great sin against God. Great crimes against the throne of heaven. Just sitting there and minding your own business. You say, well, how can that be? What, what kind of crimes does a person commit by just simply sitting still and not hurting anybody? It is this. The crimes of failing to do and failing to engage in what God has given us to do. Sins of omission are at least as common as sins of commission, things that are committed, things that we do. <coughs> because a sin of commission can only exist in the vacuum left by a sin of omission. Before we ever actually do something evil, we have ceased to do or refrained from doing that which we ought to have done. The very fact that there is an opportunity for a sin of commission means that the opportunity was created by a sin of omission. Otherwise, we would have been actively doing what is right. Sins of commission follow sins of omission like a thread follows a needle. We never walk in the path of sin until we have left the path of duty. One old writer, George Swinock, says, Not doing good fits the heart for doing evil. In other words, sins of omission pave the way for sins of commission. And so, sins of omission are more prevalent, more common than we think. We never commit a sin without omitting some obedience, first of all. And how often we sin in this way, I doubt that any of us realize. 
I'm not sure it's possible to to calculate. No doubt we fail to do and fail to be what we should much more than we could ever imagine. But let me next give you the scripture or more scriptures on this subject. Certainly the Lord addresses it here in this passage, but there are more references to this kind of sin than perhaps we think. Eli, in 1 Samuel chapter 3, failed to restrain his sons from committing fornication. And they were priests in God's house of all things. And God said that he would bring severe judgment on the house of Eli and upon his family because Eli did not restrain his sons from the sin that Eli knew about because his sons made themselves vile and he restrained them not. God's complaint against Eli was not that he encouraged his sons in their sin. It was not that he joined with them in their sin. It was simply that he did not stop them, as evidently he could have. That was a sin of omission on his part. If we think that sins of omission are somehow smaller and less offensive to God and less deserving of divine wrath, we are greatly mistaken. Some of the most severe words of God are directed to sins of omission. More from the book of Psalms. The wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. There's the failure to seek. And then it says God is not in all his thoughts. Well, there's the sin of omission. This sinful man, oh, he has all kinds of thoughts. His mind is here, there, and everywhere. But it's not toward God. He's not thinking about God. God has a claim upon the thoughts. And failing to think about God and failing to think in a godly way about all things is a sin of omission. God should be in all of our thoughts, all of our plans, all of our desires. Again, in the book of Psalms, we read, That the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Then it goes on to say that there's none that doeth good. No, not one. There's the sin of omission, failing to do good. And instead, doing what is evil and 
course, that is mentioned. They are corrupt. They've done abominable works. But they only did the abominable works having omitted doing the right works instead. There's no seeking after God, it says there in verse 2 of Psalm 14. That's a sin of omission. Oh, we can seek after everything imaginable, but we don't seek after God. And that's the sin of omission. It goes on to say that he doesn't call upon the Lord. The wicked, the fool does not call upon the He doesn't pray to God. There's another sin of omission, failure to pray to God. We look to the New Testament and we see that this matter of, of sins of omission was the concern of our Lord or among his concerns in the Sermon on the Mount. He asks there, at one point, what do ye more than others? The question isn't just what wrong are you doing? It is what right are you doing? What do ye more than others? Except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Think again from the Gospel of Matthew of the rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus and he's convinced in his mind that he's done everything right and is there anything I've left out? He, he seems to have some conscience that maybe there's some something that's missing. So what do I lack, he says, he asks. And our Lord addresses a sin of omission. And he does so in this way. He says, sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. In a way, what our Lord is saying is, you have omitted generosity. You have omitted love for your neighbor. And you have instead engaged in selfishness, covetousness, an inordinate desire for the, the wealth of this world all for yourself. And Jesus, in saying that, is not teaching that man salvation by his works, but rather he is showing how practical true religion is and what submission to Christ looks like in his case. Again, just a little earlier here in the Gospel of Matthew, our Lord cursed that fig tree that did not bear fruit. He did not curse the fig tree because its fruit was bad, bitter, uh, rotted. No, it was simply barren. There was just no fruit. There's the omission, the failure. In Matthew chapter 25, we won't take time to read it all, but I trust you're familiar with it. The Lord says that those who serve the children of God serve Christ himself. And those who fail to serve a brother or sister 
fail to serve Christ. Ye did it not unto me, he says. Also in Matthew 25, in that parable of the talents that were distributed to the servants to invest and then to bring back and show the increase, the Lord's response to the third servant was, Wicked and slothful servant. And what had that servant done? Had he stolen the money? No. Had he lost the money? No. Had he misspent the money? No. Well, then why is he called wicked and lazy? He had simply done nothing. He had been idle. He had just left it alone. And our Lord wanted it to be used and invested. There's his sin of omission. In the book of Acts, Herod was eaten by worms in Acts chapter 12 because he gave not God the glory. Before he ever took the glory to himself, Herod refrained from giving the glory to God. That sin of commission in his pride was only made possible by a sin of omission in his rebellion against God. He gave not God the glory. And Again, we won't take time to read these passages, but in Romans chapter 3, there's much emphasis upon both sins of commission as well as sins of omission. There's none righteous, lack of righteousness. There's none who understands, lack of understanding, lack of seeking after God, not walking in the right way, not doing good. And of course, Psalm 14 is quoted there. Not loving the way of peace. Not fearing God. Those are all sins of omission in that catalog of Romans chapter 3. We could take a look at the Ten Commandments. One by one. And see how that in each case. Any of those that say thou shalt not imply a thou shalt. Anything that we're not to do implies there's something instead that we should do. It's not enough simply not to steal from anyone. But as Ephesians 4 tells us, we ought rather to labor and earn and provide And share, that's the positive side. And it is a failure to do those things. It is the omitting of working with your hands and earning and providing and sharing that then creates the atmosphere in which stealing takes place. Maybe we should work through the Ten Commandments that way. No other gods before me. The sin of having another God is, includes a failure to acknowledge 
the God who is. Making graven images is a sin that follows the sin of omitting to worship him as he has instructed in a spiritual way and not with idols. Taking his name in a vain way occurs only because we have omitted to take up his name with reverence and worship. Profaning his holy day is a sin that occurs only when we have omitted setting aside the Lord's day as a day of worship to him. Dishonoring father and mother is a sin that occurs only when we have failed to honor them as we should. Failing to love our neighbor is the sin of omission that creates the the, the stage for the sin of murder. Failing to love husband or wife is the sin of omission that paves the way for the sin of Adultery. Failing to be honest is the sin of omission that is that leads to the sin of bearing false witness or lying. Or I'm sorry, stealing. That's the eighth commandment. Not to steal. And not and failing to speak the truth is the sin of omission that leads to lying, bearing false witness. Finally, the Tenth Commandment, failing to be content with what God has provided, is what is the needle that pulls the thread of sins of commission, of covetousness and all that it leads to. Let me just round out here with a few more passages in the New Testament. There's the sin in Hebrews chapter 10 of forsaking assembling together. Now, what is that? That's a sin of omission. Failing to assemble and worship God with the saints as he has ordained. You don't have to go to a pagan temple You don't have to go to a a bar or a house of ill repute. Just simply stay at home on God's day and be guilty of a great sin against him by forsaking assembling together. Sin of omission. We mentioned earlier from Psalm 14 the neglect of prayer and and in the New Testament we see it underscored again in James chapter 4 where he says ye have not because ye ask not. It wasn't that they were praying to false gods and the like. It's just 
that they were simply not asking God, failing to pray to him. And also in the book of James, this this most convicting word, to him who knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Failure to do what you know you should do is a sin. And knowing that it is our duty makes the sin of omission all the worse. Last of all, let me remind you of what we read in 1 John. Such, Such solemn words. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar. Because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. Here is the sin of failing to believe. And God takes that as an accusation that he is a liar. Think about that. You don't have to shake your fist in God's face and say, you're a liar. All you have to do is omit, neglect to believe on Christ. And the effect is the same. Unbelief is the highest insult against God. It is the the very peak of self-righteous arrogance against him. And he that believeth not shall be damned, and rightly so. Now let us consider this point. Sins of omission are more evil than we think and are sufficient to condemn us forever. We tend to overlook these sins of omission because, as I said, they don't make the headlines in the news. Others don't observe them so much. We tend to underestimate sins of omission, therefore. And we overlook them, or we minimize them, or we make excuse for them. Maybe we say something like this. Well, failing to do that didn't hurt anybody. And so, why should God be so upset about it? No, friend, the truth of the matter is, Sins of omission do hurt somebody. They hurt God. They offend Him. They insult Him. They manifest a heart of rebellion against Him. And as Mr. Spurgeon said, there is as much rebellion in not obeying God as in breaking His commands. And I think the scriptures we have seen bear that out. An employee need not embezzle from the company 
or injure other workers in order to be fired from his job. He only needs to fold his hands and do nothing at all when it's time to work. A soldier need not desert his company or give secrets to the enemy to be court-martialed. He only needs to sit in his tent when he should pick up his weapon and fight. A child need not talk back to mom and dad or break the rules of the house in order to be chastened. He only needs to ignore the duties that mom and dad have given him. And he's guilty. You know, we can see the principle in other aspects of life. But when it comes to our relationship to God, we seem to overlook it. Oh, how much more should we see it in things relating to our God? So how bad must a person be to go to hell forever? Have you ever thought about that? How bad? do you have to be to go to hell forever? In view of what we've seen here today, you don't have to be bad at all. You just have to simply fail to do good. Fail to obey. All a person has to do to go straight to hell is nothing. Just continue on. Just be yourself. Be your sinful self. Neglect what God has commanded. And I can assure you, you'll go straight to hell. How shall we escape God's judgment if we neglect so great salvation? And it's this matter of neglect that should concern us today. Or we can look at it in this way. What is the greatest sin? The greatest sin must be connected with the greatest commandment. The greatest sin must be to disobey whatever the greatest commandment is. And we know what the greatest commandment is. If you're still in Matthew 23, you see it right at the end of chapter 22. The Lord answered the question clearly. The question was put to him. What is the great commandment or the greatest commandment in the law? In verse 37, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. Commandment. The greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart. And so failing to love God with all your heart has to be the greatest sin. 
And that is a sin of omission. And this sheds light perhaps on a passage that's very parallel to our text in Matthew 23, 23, though I think it was spoken on uh, an earlier occasion and in a different location. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus says, Woe unto you, Pharisees, for ye tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and pass over judgment and the love of God. These ought ye to have done and not to leave the other undone. Very very similar to what he says here. But instead of mentioning faith, there in Luke's uh, uh, words, he speaks of the love of God that was neglected, omitted. And so failing in the first and great commandment, failing to love God, is what sets the stage for the inordinate love of anything and everything else. But it is the failure to love God supremely that implicates us in the highest crime against God. And so let me ask the question this way. To be guilty of the worst sin... What must you do? And again, the answer is nothing. Just fail to love God. Many years ago, I heard a young preacher get in a pulpit, and the first words out of his mouth were these. I love God with all my heart and soul and mind. And I had never heard anyone be so bold as to say that, though every believer loves the Lord. Surely we are convicted that we don't love him more. And it was just a few weeks after that in another church where no one had heard this other statement that a friend in the pulpit said this and this was a dear brother who had walked with the Lord for many years he said I haven't loved God with all my heart for one moment of my existence and all I can say is that second dear brother made my heart resonate in what, with what he said, we don't love him as we should. Every believer must love the Lord, but we don't love him as we should. We want to love him more. But the worst of sins is simply to fail to love him. Just be busy with your own life and doing your own pleasure and maybe uh, making a lot of friends and not hurting anybody you think, and you are justly condemned by the judge of all men. Remember, Paul says to the Corinthians that those who do not love the Lord are accursed. 
And so I'm saying all that today to say this. As we search our own hearts, as you search your own heart and I search mine, do we not recognize that our sins are more numerous and more enormous than we could ever imagine? If we could only see our sins the way that God sees them, if somehow we could have them all appear before our eyes, what a dreadful sight it would be. They would be more than we could count. The psalmist expresses that. He says, my iniquities are more than the hairs of my head. Therefore, my heart faileth me. And who can understand his errors? We don't even understand all of our sins. And from the book of Job is not thy wickedness great and thine iniquities infinite. Beloved, God has every right to punish us forever, severely, only for our sins of omission. If that were all that were under consideration, there would be sufficient ground for us to be condemned and to die a never-ending death in the lake of fire. But it's even worse than that. We have not only sins of omission, we have the sins of commission added to them. And so we are all great sinners in the sight of a holy God. And while we conveniently forget about and overlook our sins of omission, he does not. And he will bring them up on judgment day. Oh, how convicted we ought to be and how alarmed we ought to be about our relationship to God in our sinful state. But let me conclude here today with the remedy for sins of omission. Thank God there is a remedy, a remedy that he has made, a remedy that is a person, his only begotten son, who came to earth and took a human nature. And as a man, he perfectly fulfilled all the commands of God. He did everything that God said to do. And he did that as a substitute for his people, for those whom he would save. And before we even talk about the death of Christ, let us understand the significance of his life, his obedience, his, his positive obedience in fulfilling all of the law. In other words, there were no sins of omission in the Lord Jesus Christ. He did everything 
that a man is supposed to do. He said, I do always those things that please him. And it was that life, that sinless, perfect life, that he laid down as a sacrifice for sin. And we must appreciate both aspects of his obedience. That's why we make much of his life as well as of his death. As we sung earlier, Jesus, thy blood and righteousness. Yes, it's his death, his blood, but also his life, his righteousness, his obedience. We speak of his doing and dying for our salvation. And we need his obedience. Oh, we need it more than we realize because our disobedience is more than we realize. If we think that we are basically good people and just need a little help, just need a little encouragement, then we are really denying the gospel and not facing the truth. Jesus is not a little savior for little sinners. He's a great savior for great sinners. And we're all great sinners. In the life that he lived, he accomplished more than we realize. In the death that he died, he suffered more than we realize. Our debts that were laid to his account were more than we realize. And our indebtedness to him as a Savior is greater than we realize. So let us search our hearts today. Innocent young person, you desperately need Jesus as a Savior. Kind-hearted old person, you desperately need this Savior. Your sins of omission are great in the eyes of God and will land you in hellfire unless you come to Christ by faith. And he will also give you, when you come, a new heart that delights to do his will. So let me ask you today, if you're not in Christ, what keeps you from coming to him? Is it that you imagine yourself to be better than you really are? If that's what keeps you from coming to Christ, then I can assure you, you're not good in God's sight. And none of us is. The only one who is good enough in God's sight is Jesus Christ. And it's only in saving union with him that we are acceptable to God. And that our sins are put away, our sins of commission and our sins of omission are put away 
covered by Him. And so I urge you to come to Him now. Confess to Him your sins. All you've done and all you've failed to do that you should have done. And believe on Christ. Take His perfection to be right with God. And let me say this word furthermore to those who are believers. Consider how many sins of omission still plague our hearts. Oh, that we were done with sin altogether. We will be in heavenly glory, but until then, there are still sins of omission and commission that we as believers commit and and omit. Think of our sins of omission, a cold heart toward God, oftentimes, letting other things crowd him out, putting off prayer and the reading of Holy Scripture, and then praying rather selfishly, And reading God's word with a wandering mind. Coming to church with our thoughts on the world. Neglecting to love our neighbor as ourselves, especially the spiritual concerns of our neighbors. How guilty are we of lack of gratitude to God and contentment and patience and joy and forgiveness and mercy? As believers, we too have much to repent of before God. And my purpose in in bringing this up today is not just so that we will wallow in our misery and go home. It's so that we might address these things. Consider what needs to be changed. Pray for God's grace to overcome these indwelling sins. And by God's grace, step up and make an endeavor with God-given strength to serve our Savior and to love Him and worship and serve Him more faithfully in the days ahead than we have in the days past.